Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Here to help us navigate the NBA trade uh, frontier is a guy who covers it day in and day out for NBC Sports Philly, their managing editor, uh, NBCSports.com. NBC Sports Philly is in my hometown uh, where uh, I get a bunch of guys on to talk to me. No, this is NBCSports.com's Kurt Healing. Kurt, Jody Mack here. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well, man. Good. Did they drag you on NBC Sports Philly often? Um, I, I used to. I used to do a couple of shows. I haven't as much anymore with the new lineups, but yeah. uh, I used to do it all the. I do. I, ha, I used to do it all the time. Uh, it was a couple of the shows there, and I love doing. I love doing. I actually love doing Philly because they're they're a little more opinionated. I do a couple other <laughs> national NBC shows, and uh, uh, the, Philly, the, the Philly people. The, the Philly people know where they're coming from. Yeah, I've only been here 30 years, so I know where you're coming from, too, when you say <laughs> Philly sports fans are opinionated. Um, well, let's start there completely by accident. Uh, Philadelphia has played some dynamite basketball, even with Joel Embiid out. Their last yeah. game, not only was Embiid out, Simmons was out, Curry was out, and they still walked away with a victory. Tobias Harris playing like the all-star that I for a week and a half, whined that he should have been part of that team, uh, came up with a huge night, and Shake Milton played well off the bench. How much does that help a team going into a playoff run to know that if something doesn't go your way, you have to get over a hurdle, somebody's going to be hurt, you still find ways to win? Uh, how gratifying do you think that is for the Sixers? I, I, well, I think it is important going into the playoffs. It, it's, let's put it this way. It's the anti-Clippers. Right. Like in, in the face of adversity, finding ways to get things done and learn from your mistakes and get better is ultimately what it takes. I, it's going to be tough to come out of the East for any of them. Right. Like Brooklyn is obviously going to be good to very good, but we'll see if they defend well enough. Milwaukee is playing a lot better lately and the PJ Tucker pickup is good for them. Philly's in that mix. Philly is right there with them. And this is the kind of thing, like you said, that brings confidence to the role players so that, look, at some point in the playoffs, with every series, Jody, most, well, second series, second round on in particular, I, look, <coughs> the defenders are going to make things tough for Joel Embiid, right? Like, like a, a, a decent defensive team can take away option A, can take away option B, and pretty soon you're like, well, what's our third option? Or how do we do this? And how many points can our guys still get? But more importantly, can other role guys step up when the other when when our stars are when our stars are seeing double teams or walls or whatever? This is the kind of thing that brings that confidence to them, and so suddenly those guys are knocking down shots and making plays, and these are the kind of games that pay off later. They switched it up a little bit this off season, uh, obtaining Curry, uh, who's been pretty good doing what he does, which is just flat out drain threes. Danny Green, a grizzled veteran, but not the player he once was. 
but it's still a lot of the same guys that were on this team, certainly last year, many of them the year before that, who couldn't get it done come postseason time. Is the difference Doc Rivers taking over as the head coach? Does he have the ability to just get the guys to match better or play harder or different? I think he's using them in really smart ways. Um, it, ben Simmons is dominating, you know, in transition and getting his buckets, but he's not necessarily the guy. Late in games, it's, it is even when the, when he's healthy, it's Tobias Harris with the ball in his hands because he's a better half court shot creator. So I think Doc has done stuff like that. But I think, you know, the, the little moves that they did make, like bringing in Seth Curry, look, this team just didn't have any spacing last year. They just they're just you didn't fear them from three you could pack it in and make things more difficult that's Embiid has stepped up his game but he's also got shooters that you have to stay home on now the floor is spaced better for them um and that's that makes them demonstrably better you you can't leave Seth Curry you just can't the Sixers the Nets as you pointed out and uh, Milwaukee has kind of opened up some ground on everybody else in the East, because they seem to be winning on almost a nightly basis. Yeah, the Nets won, dropped one the other night, and the Sixers lost one as well since Embiid got hurt. Uh, Milwaukee's been on an unbelievable streak, but they've been that all year. Win three, lose two. Win five, lose four. Uh, they they haven't been able to, to put consistency together. When they get cold, they get cold in uh, groups, which is not great, but they've been much more hot of late, and that's why they've closed the gap. You mentioned the P.J. Tucker trade. I, I watched what P.J. Tucker did for the Rockets both uh, the last two previous years in the playoffs. Great defender, has the ability to make threes, veteran leadership. Those numbers just aren't there this year. Yeah. Is it because Houston is such a lost cause and everyone's given up on the season and Harden had talked his way out of town that uh, T.J. Tucker just couldn't get engaged to, to play to the level that he usually played? Will he re-immediately engage when he gets to Milwaukee because the Bucks are right in the champion, uh, heart of a championship run? I think defensively he brings something still that they really need, and that and that will be engaged. He just makes them, he just makes them more switchable, right? Like they, part of their problem the last couple of years is that in the playoffs when Plan A didn't work for them, they didn't have a Plan B to go to, and that included defensively when the drop back didn't, you know, Brooke Lopez dropping back didn't work. They didn't switch enough during the season to be good at it. They've become better at it. They do it more this year, not smooth, but they're better at it. P.J. Tucker, though, is a great switchable defender. You, you could actually switch him on to Embiid, and he's not, you know, nobody's gonna, he's not going to stop him, but that's a big, strong guy who's going to at least make Embiid work for his bucket. You can do all sorts of things there. So I think it makes them better. Will he hit it more corner threes? I kind of think so. Um, I don't know that he's going to get back up to you know 44% or something, but he was shooting 35% from the corner in Houston. Look, it's simply this. When Chris Paul a couple of years ago and then Russell Westbrook and James Harden are getting you open threes in the corner, you're open. Um, when it's Victor Oladipo, you're not as open. Like, you're just, you're just not. So I think, I think getting Yana, you know, now that it's Giannis into the Kumpo and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday getting in threes, I think he's going to get clean looks again and more of them will fall. Kurt Heelan from NBCSports.com, NBA uh, lead writer, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, so Milwaukee adds Tucker. The Nets added Blake Griffin, which I'll be completely honest with you, Kurt. I'm a little surprised he hasn't gotten any action yet. He's gotten more action on 
True TV or TBS or TNT. I don't know which one it is. But he's on one of those channels with a reality show that uh, has popped up after some of these NCAA tournament games. So I've seen him on TV, but not in a Nets uniform. I didn't know they were going to have to wait for him to get back into playing shape to get him out onto the court. But when he does... Can he give them something? There was a serious drop-off in his game this year. Is he another guy who will just, quote-unquote, be re-energized when he gets with a team that's contending the way the Nets are? I don't know how much he can help them. But just because his lateral movement isn't there, and it's sort of the same with um, LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, he might end up, when he gets bought out in Miami or, or wherever he ends up, um, just doesn't move. He just doesn't move as well. Now, Griffin's still a high IQ player. He's a really nice passer. He can knock down some open shots from you know, three and mid-range. I think as a backup five, could he help them in certain matchups? Yeah, probably. He can certainly eat some minutes during the regular season, but I just don't, you know. And he's kind of like, I don't know, Vince Carter was this way the last couple of years, and some guys are still like this. Like, he's going to have nights. He's going to, like, it's, there's going to be night where he hops in the hot tub time machine and goes back and puts up some, <laughs> but it's in the regular season, but it's not going to happen in the postseason. I think all they're hoping for is that they can put him out there one night and it throws off another team's matchups and it helps them win a game. And if they get that, that's about the most they can expect out of Blake at this point. And I, it hurts me to say that because I, I love Blake Griffin as a, a player and as a person, I think he's a great guy. Um, but he, he's just, just 32, but there's a lot of miles on that 32 and a lot of injuries. And it's, he's just, he, he's just not the same. And if he's seeing extended playoff minutes, he's not helping their defense in Brooklyn. Understood. And that's what they really need. Do the yeah. Nets have another deal in the mix? We're four days away from the trade deadline. They've already taken advantage of the buyout market, and you never know how uh, large the buyout market is going to be, but you can pull a trade. Is there a defender out there that can make a difference for the Nets? I saw a great stat, I think it was on ESPN uh, uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, that Brooklyn is in the bottom four of the NBA in points allowed per game. No team has ever been in the bottom four in points per yep. game allowed and made it to an NBA final. So they're trying to buck a big trend and or get out of that uh, seller-dweller status as far as defense goes. Is there someone who will be available who will be able to do that for the Nets? I, I don't know. I think Tucker might be the best defender available out there. I mean, in theory, you could go on the buyout market and get somebody like Andre Drummond, but you're still not going to play him, you know, there's limited roles and minutes for a guy like that, even in the postseason. So I don't know that that's there. I will say this in their, in their defense of their defense. Sure. I'll go with that sentence. Um, in the defense of their defense. <laughs> Over the last few weeks, um, it's been closer to league average statistically. It's not been good. Like they're not a good defensive team, but they're a little smoother. Um, they're, they're hustling a little more on that end. They focused a little more on it. And if their defense, I think that this is really just where they're at. If their defense can be average, that's probably good enough. Like that offense, especially in the playoffs with three shot creators like that um, and two of them who have championships and know how to hit big shots, I just, their offense is going to be so dynamic and so hard to stop that average defense that gets a few stops might be good enough. Their offense is dynamite now. And, oh, by the way, they're without Kevin Durant and have been for over a month now. 
I've not seen anything as to speculatory, certainly no given date when Durant is back. I think the Nets are in a, uh, does it really matter whether we finish first, second, or third? As long as we're all healthy, we'll take on all comers when the uh, NBA playoffs roll around. Is that their attitude? Have you heard anything on when or if we're going to see Kevin Durant back in their lineup? I hear it's getting closer, but I haven't heard anything yet. Like you definitively, they're being, look, guys coming off major injuries, right? Like they're going to be really cautious here as they should be. Um, Like you said, they're not too worried. This is a veteran team and they're not too worried about home court. The other thing is Jody teams in general are not as worried about home court this year because they're not going to be, by the time we get to the playoffs in June, There'll be more people in buildings, and I think even in the you know even in California here, like there will be some fans in the building, but it's not going to be a full raucous place in the same way. And because of that, I don't think teams fear not having home court in the way. I I will rephrase that. There's one team Utah really wants home court, um, and they'd really like it if the Lakers and Clippers could finish two three and be on the other side of the bracket. But they really they want home court. But outside of that, I don't think it's motivated teams quite the same way this year. Utah is sixteen and two. They are the best home team. Not far behind them is the seventy sixers at nineteen and four. And yes, yeah. they want to be home. And oh, by the way, yes, speaking yeah. about being on the other side of the bracket, right now the Hawks in fourth place in these. So if you can avoid either Brooklyn or Milwaukee and get the Hawks in that semifinal round oh, yeah. before you have to need to I, take on one of those two, old Philly wants home field home court advantage badly. I think in the East, even more than the West. In the East, there right now are three elite teams. Miami is the one team who could, especially if they get rolling again or they find a four in a trade or a um, thing that they feel I think could get back to that level of play and could be a problem in a playoff series. But in general, if you can get the one and you can avoid those two, that just makes your path easier. I'm not the West. That's kind of true, I think. But on the flip side, like Clippers aren't striking fear in anyone. And the other problem in the West is that. You look down at their like, – you are the one seed. You know who you get in the first round? You're going to get somebody like Dallas or Portland in the first round. Like, the West is just deep with pretty good teams right now. Well, I mentioned the Hawks, who have uh, worked their way up to uh, the fourth spot because they've won eight out of their last ten. How are they doing it? I know they're only 22-20, and 20, but fourth place in the East is fourth place in the East. How have they risen that quickly? Obviously, Nate McMillan walks on water. No, um, <laughs> it's two things. They got healthier. Um, they are playing harder on the defensive end. They've also had a cupcake schedule through a lot of this. And by the way, that's about to change. Uh, they're about to go through a much rougher patch of the schedule. So let's see how they hold up. They, they've, they've righted the ship by getting healthier against a soft part of the schedule. And there's always, there's always a new coach bump, right? And Nate McMillan's – I. Look, he's a quality veteran NBA head coach who's going to hold guys accountable for their defense. So they've been better on that, and we'll see how they come out of this. And by the way, we'll see how they come out of the trade deadline because their name bounces all over there with John Collins and just a bunch of guys on their team that may or may not be Hawks a week from now. Here's my issue with the trade deadline. We're talking to uh, our buddy Kurt Hewlin from NBCSports.com, their lead NBA writer. Um with the playoffs being 10 deep, uh, they've got the expanded playoffs again this year in a COVID season. Uh, <laughs> 10 is going to play nine, seven is going to play eight. The winner of the first one gets seven, and I went to it earlier today, and I know you know it. 
but 10 teams in each conference are going to make the playoffs. And, oh, by the way, if you're within three games with 30 games to play, you got to believe you're in it as we come up on the trade deadline. you got Orlando and Detroit pretty much given, all right, they got no shot. you got Houston and Minnesota and the other side. Yeah, they got no shot. Well, Sacramento is really only five, four games at four and change out of the last playoff spot. And, oh, by the way, I've seen them play of late. They're really not that bad. They just find ways to lose like they did against the Sixers last night. But they're not a terrible team. I just don't see any sellers. Uh, You know the old uh, axiom, it takes two to tango. I see a whole bunch of teams that'd be interested in upgrading and getting that one piece that they think would make a big difference. But somebody's got to be willing to give them that piece, and I don't see that many teams that just say, yeah, we're dead in the water. We'll take a step back to take two forward at a future date. Exactly. There's, there are a few guys who will certainly be on the move. Look, George Hill will be on the move. J.J. Redick will either be traded or get bought out. Um, Lonzo Ball is a name you suddenly hear a lot. But um, that said, Sacramento is kind of a perfect example. Like you said, they're within striking distance. That's a team that also hasn't made the playoffs since I, I, I think the Taft administration. Like it's been, <laughs> and their pressure from ownership to push down that road, even with a new GM and everything going on there, they, they would like to get there. So making the play-in would be big for them. They're hesitant to sell. They, could they find new homes for and and maybe get some picks or young players for Buddy Heald? And, and more importantly, Harrison Barnes, who's been linked to Boston and other places because everybody, everybody's looking for a four, Jody. Everybody wants a power – stretch fours, like power fours right. who can space the floor, huge at this trade deadline. Um, they could get something for him, but because, like you said, they're within striking distance. They want that. They're keeping the asking price high, and other teams are just looking at this and going, no, no, I don't – no, we're just not going to do it. And again, this, I, the other part of this to me – comes back to people not being in the building. You're, you're not getting booed. You're not getting the same kind of in-house pressure that you might normally. And so teams are, I don't know, more, I don't want to say more willing to lose, but they're, they're not going to necessarily feel the pressure to make a big move now that they might in a normal season. A team that's somewhat like Sacramento in the East, but even in a better position because they're on the inside looking out right now rather than the outside looking in, is the Knicks. Long time between playoff drinks of water for New York. I don't know that they knew Thibodeau's first year was going to get them into a potential playoff position, but that's where they sit here with 30 games to go. Um They've got some really nice pieces, but they also have some glaring holes. If they could fill one, that would really help their ability to make the playoff this year. But the Knicks have been going for it and falling flat on their face for basically 20 years. How's it going to shake out in New York? New management, new president, new coach, whole bunch of newbies, but the, the past performances are what they are in that building under that owner for the last couple decades. How are the Knicks going to handle the trade deadline? Leon Rose so far has run a pretty conservative ship, right? Like he has not done the very Knicks thing and like, hey, we got to trade for Russell Westbrook or something you know, wild like that. They haven't gone down that road. They've They've just improved, like you said. Tom Thibodeau has been he's in the running for Coach of the Year, if not the front runner for Coach of the Year, because of 
the culture he's helped build there, the way that team defends now. I mean, they're a top-five defensive team. Nobody saw that coming. Julius Randle has stepped up his game this year, quickly turned out to be a great draft pick. Um, just things are going. R.J. Barrett's developed. And I'm, what does this team look like in three or four years? Probably pretty different, but at least they're building a culture. They would love to make the playoffs, but I'll tell you the other thing they've got going, what makes them intriguing. They've got not only young players, they're the team with the most cap space right now. They're actually like $15 million in cap space, which means they can take on bad contracts. So if you're looking for the third team in a deal, it could be the Knicks. The Knicks are able to facilitate other deals if they get stuff they like in there. Um, and that might help them. I, my guess is that they're going to keep looking long-term rather than short-term. Although I would love to be, a, I'd love to be in on some of those conversations because um Jody, I don't think Tom Thibodeau is thinking long term. I don't think he's capable. So, like, there's got to be an interesting dynamic in that front office. Tibbs has never been that guy, and I don't think he's going to become that guy this <laughs> no. year. Um, last thing for you: we all saw the LeBron James injury yesterday. Uh, shame on! I think it was Montrell uh, Harold who suggested yeah. that it was kind of a dirty play. It wasn't. I saw the replay twenty-five times. Guy was going for a loose ball, and you're allowed yeah. to give effort going for a loose ball, and it was just one of those things. Uh, it looked pretty painful. Took him a long time to get up, but he did get back to the. Well, shoot, he, he stayed in the game for a half a second, and then got back to the locker room under his own power. Um, we got the trade deadline coming up uh, within four days. Uh, certainly, LeBron won't be back by that point. Will what happened to LeBron alter or affect the Lakers' ideas as to what to do at the trade deadline? A little bit. It, well, let's put it this way. They know better than we do internally. Like They said a high ankle sprain. It's LeBron. LeBron has played through a lot of He legendarily played through a lot of ankle sprains in his career. So, the average for this kind of injury, um, according to Jeff Stotts from in, um, in Street Clothes, who's fantastic follow on these kind of things, is over the last seven years, it's like 10 games, give or take. LeBron's not really human, so it, maybe it's a little less. But, yeah, I think it, if they can find a deal that helps them in the short term, especially since Anthony Davis could be out longer than that, they'll certainly be looking. They'll certainly be active. Their problem is they're up against the cap. They've traded away – pretty much all of their trade out, you know, picks and all they don't have a lot to move unless you want to give up Taylor Horton Tucker. There's just, <laughs> there's just really hard to motivate teams. And because they're up against the hard cap, it, the finances get tough. So I'm not sure the Lakers do anything, but try to find somebody on the buyout market. Understood. Um, what does, if uh, you're short now, give this to me again in street clothes. Is that a, it, it's a, there's a Twitter account and a, and a, and a website in street clothes. His name's Jeff Stotts. Uh, he has, he actually put together a database of every NBA injury over the last, Oh gosh, I, 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 I don't know exactly like 15, 20 years and tracks them. Um, and so he can tell you like LeBron James has had 27 ankle sprains or whatever the number is <laughs> over the course of his career. And it's kind of, it's kind of wild. He's a, he's an interesting follow because it just gives you, He's a medical guy who can tell you a little bit of the detail of, of an injury, but more than that, he's, his database gives you a fairly realistic return timeline. Cool stuff. I'm going to have to give him a check. Um, 
what effect does say uh, Jeff Stotts is accurate and it's upwards of 10 games for LeBron? Uh, Joel Embiid is in a run where it looks like he's going to yeah. miss six or seven games. He'd already missed seven this year. LeBron had only missed one. Um, the MVP, I thought three weeks ago, was a two-horse race between those two. And now both of those two are compromised. It brings the Dame Lillards and the uh, certainly Giannis, if Milwaukee makes a great run, could be going for a third. Uh, maybe Nicole Jokic, but the I think the Nuggets have to improve a little bit in the West. I don't know anybody's winning the MVP yeah. from fifth or down. Today, who's your MVP in the NBA? Yeah, it's funny. I just uh, I was asked that by somebody today. I'm like, I guess technically if if I had to vote today because being available matters to me. And as of today, Embiid's at 10 missed games this season and climbing. And once you get past 10 in this shortened season, um, at least in my mind, you're, you're, I don't know, I'm grading on a curve. It gets a lot tougher to win it if you're yep. not available if you miss 10 games. Um, LeBron hasn't gotten there yet, so but if he gets past ten, if this let's say this is a ten twelve game injury or so for him, and there, obviously there's good reason to be cautious with him because there's still going to be an elite playoff team. Um, in that case, I might Jokic might be the guy who moves into first place for me. I mean, if I had to vote today, I'd be able to still vote for LeBron because he's only missed a game. Right. But ask me that question again, Jody, in three weeks, and it might be Jokic and it might be Dame Willard. I think. You know, uh, you mentioned that Jokic, Lillard, and and Antetokounmpo would be three, four. Would have when I filled this out two weeks ago, they were three, four, five on my list. They might be one, two, three in a couple weeks yeah. just because of the because of the injuries. Um, and and, uh, and by the way, Giannis has played what three straight triple doubles or three triple three out of four. Now he's played phenomenally of late. And don't count out Harden yet. He's making a little no. bit of a sneaky run in Brooklyn too. Yeah, you know uh, what? Is... He's, he's on my he's on my watch list, but. Man, it's, it would be hard for me after what happened. In, after he torpedoed the Houston season, it'd be hard to vote for him. I hear you. That's All right, uh, then let's finish, and we're over time, so we got to make this quick. Uh, quick quiz for Kurt Yellen because you were just talking about it, and I had to look it up to make a point on one of my shows. Last MVP in the NBA to miss more than 10 games in a season. Who was it? Iverson, wasn't it? Allen Iverson in 2001 missed 11. You are 100% correct. And I made the point because uh, we're making the argument for Embiid. If he if he misses 10, well, if he's right there, same with Allen. It's a, it's a Philly thing. You, are, you cut a little slack. If you can make it to a season in Philly, you're allowed a couple extra games down. Uh, I, think his, I think his timeout is going to be a little bit more than that, and it's going to be compromising for him. You know who the record is, right? Most, Most games. Win MVP. I, is Walton. it Walton? Yeah, Walton had the one season in Portland where he was phenomenal, but uh, like we missed, did all together. He missed more than 30 games, and he somehow wow. won MVP. I, I can tell you now, that would not happen today. <laughs> not uh, not a uh, million years. You are correct. Kurt, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on. Anytime, uh, appreciate you giving us all this time. Kurt Heelan, NBCSports.com, NBA Insider. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.